Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Thanks for tuning in to Logitimate on Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton, and I'm a consumer rights attorney and credit nerd at AZCLG, here to bring you the full perspective on issues that I handle every day. This is our last episode in our credit reporting series, and today's topic is credit repair everything you want to know. I love credit. I love talking about credit. I talk about credit literally all the time. I teach continuing legal education to attorneys on credit. I practice in credit law. I help with credit repair. I freaking love credit. So I am really excited for this episode. And today we have two awesome guests to give us their legitimate perspectives on credit repair. We have Gary Nitzkin, who is president of Credit Repair Lawyers of America, and Derek Vogel, founder and CEO of Credit Absolute. So all three of us are credit repair professionals, but we each occupy different areas in the world of credit. So let's start with Gary. Gary, tell us about your street cred. You know, tell us how you help people. Why do you help people with credit repair and what makes you legitimate? We're positioned a little bit differently than regular credit repair companies. We do credit repair litigation. When credit repair companies such as Derek's company or your company can't get things off the credit report the nice way, we do it through litigation. We help the creditors and the credit reporting agencies see the light. <laughs> well put. And what about you, Derek? So my background was in mortgages. Did that for almost 10 years. And when I worked with credit repair companies, it wasn't the way that I would want to be treated in a sense, uh, or my clients to be treated. And so I had an opportunity seven years ago to start Credit Absolute. And so with that, you know, I just also lived through some credit prison, as I would say, when I was younger. (laughs) So I had to learn the hard way, but I was able to create a business that also treats clients that the way that I wanted to be treated. And so um, that was my passion. So I knew I could help them in a more legitimate way. Uh, to help them reach their goals faster so that they could purchase a home or or any financing for that matter. Awesome. Those are both great answers. But now on to the fun part, credit repair. So let's deal with the elephant in the room, the credit repair reputation. It's bad. Why and what are you doing to change that? Uh, let's start with you, Derek. Well, I think that it's improved personally uh, in the past five to 10 years, really. I mean, I think in the past that, yes, it did have a a bad, I guess, as you say, aura to it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, with NASCO in place, which is the National Association Services Organization, you know, I've met a lot of great credit repair owners that do it the right way. And I was also just looking at different ways when I started my company. And I found that a performance-based model uh, is the most legitimate because the clients pay for what they get, right? So we don't charge clients unless they actually see results. The other companies, you know, nothing against them in a sense. I don't like to talk down on anybody uh, in the sense of, you know, that perspective, but, you know, charging people a bunch of money up front, which is illegal anyways. And then the monthly models, I see a lot of successful companies that way, but I just have a tendency to see uh, clients' responses where they just keep paying a monthly fee. Uh, Yes, they do get results sometimes, but it's more or less, uh, there's no incentive for that type of model to get them out of the program quickly, as opposed to a performance-based company that's driven to get results, because if they don't, they don't get paid. Derek, you wouldn't be referring to some large national credit repair company, would you? (laughs) 
<laughs> may or may not have been sued. Uh, well, <laughs> by the CFPB? Uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> So a performance-based model, I love that concept. I'm a big fan of efficiency myself. But what about you, Gary? <laughs> well, I, I've got a slightly different opinion than Derek. Um, the credit repair industry has good apples and bad apples. Unfortunately, I think it's that minority of bad apples that control the reputation. The people that belong to organizations such as Naxo, which is a very good organization, those are typically the credit repair companies that care about their reputation and care about the industry. You have a lot of people who are fly-by-nights and do this work across the kitchen table, and they'll charge fees up front, and then you'll never see them again. Those are the ones giving the credit repair industry a black eye. I For- agree. Well, fortunately, we've got people like Derek and your company and Rochelle and your company that are crusaders and holding up, um, keeping up a wonderful reputation. And it's because of you that a lot of us are still in business today. I'll tell you what we've also done. We've started a website a few years ago called FreeCreditLawyer.com. And it's just aimed at new companies coming into the credit repair business. We want them to work ethically and we want them to do things in compliance with the Credit Repair Organization Act and with the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act. And we answer their questions for free. We want them to succeed, but we want them to do it right. Amen. I agree with that. I'm a big fan, too, of being a resource for new companies entering into credit. Don't guess when you can ask an attorney. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So on to credit repair basics. So what would you say or how would you define credit repair? I'm going to defer to Derek on this one. (laughs) Sure. Um, Credit repair for me is interesting because... I don't perceive myself as a credit repair company. Uh, I've always called myself credit counseling and education. Uh, Credit repair is kind of a byproduct of what we do, helping clients remove items that are inaccurate, outdated, or unverifiable. But with a lot of companies, uh, just even uh, with everybody that I know in the industry, you know, they get a lot of items deleted for clients, but their scores never increase. And it's, well, why doesn't it increase? So with the question, you know, what, does credit repair mean to me? I think it's important to teach the individual the fundamentals of how credit is scored. And so as we get items deleted, the most important part is teaching them how to build the credit and teaching them the five areas of credit, which would be, as we all know, payment history, credit cards, age of credit, proper mix of credit, and then new credit. As long as they understand that algorithm and the point value to each of those five areas, then they have a clear picture and understanding of like, okay, I didn't realize that payment history was 192.5 points of my credit score. (laughs) Oh my God, Derek, you remind me of the story. Just this year, we had a a couple, two clients, husband and wife, and they had several items on their credit report and we got them taken off and they were good things to get taken off, charge-offs and late payments. We got them taken off through litigation. But when it came time to sign the settlement agreements, they said, our credit scores have dropped. And I said, that makes no sense. Let's see what's going on. They sent me their credit reports. They had actually gone from 80% utilization on their credit cards to a 95% utilization, which totally offset the negatives we got taken off their credit report. So, Derek, you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you say education is absolutely key to helping people regain their credit scores. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if if they don't have that, then they're just kind of walking around uh, in circles. I agree. Like you definitely need credit counseling to go with any credit repair system that you're doing, because otherwise you are just getting rid of things and you don't know what you're really doing wrong to begin with. Uh, I think a big part too of credit repair from my perspective, is always the process of disputing information on your credit report with the intent of updating or deleting inaccurate information. So credit repair is just kind of sending a dispute to a credit bureau to fix information. That's really the whole point. And I think a lot of people in our industry sort of get sucked into the dispute it over and over and over and over (laughs) and over. And maybe if I keep doing this, something will change. And it's like, well, like Derek said, you got to know what the big picture is. The goal is to improve your credit. Can I ask a hard question? Yes. For both of you, what do you think about credit repair people that dispute everything negative on the credit report? Stop doing it. Frustrating, <laughs> irritating. Uh, that's I was funny that you read my mind, Gary, because I was just getting ready to say it's when we talk to the client and the we do a free consultation for them so that we can help them identify that what the errors are, but it also gives me an opportunity to look at how to build credit for them. Mm-hmm. And so if they owe a debt, I'm like, look, you need to pay this debt. Like, I'm not going to delete your debt. It doesn't work that way. And they're like, well, I was told though that, you know, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's great. Well, I'm telling you as an expert, if you want to improve your credit, you know, I can help you with this area of the accounts that are inaccurate or outdated. But, you know, you need to settle this debt. If not, then it's pointless to even hire me because you're not going to get the results that you want. And then you're going to blame me. And, you know, so I'm pretty picky about who I allow in my business. Smart. That is smart. Awesome. I'm I have so another question. That. Shoot. I'm sorry. It's just I, I was no, approached by a, I, I was approached by someone earlier this week. And I can't say anything more than that because... Attorney-client privilege and stuff. Exactly. I had him give me a dollar (laughs) just for this purpose. (laughs) But the concept was purchasing trade lines, which is not a new concept. No. Derek's head is hung in shame again. (laughs) Derek, hit us. (laughs) I I just, I I get people asking me all the time, can I buy trade lines? And um, I'm like, sure, if you want to go to prison, you know. Go ahead. I'm like, but again, uh, I recommend that you don't even go that route because um, you don't need to, number one. You know, you can do it the right way, but uh, in agreement with Gary in the sense that you see it all the mm-hmm. time. Oh, yeah. And it comes a lot, as Gary mentioned with the first question, you know, why do credit repair have such a bad name? And you get a lot of these ego credit repair owners that, don't even really do the repair. They become, you know, Instagram, YouTube worthy, uh, taking pictures of cars that they probably rent. <laughs> uh, they act as if they're successful. You know, maybe some of them are, and I'm not trying to be uh, too critical, but I have to be because a lot of them then are promoting all of these violations. And then uh, the fly by night individuals, then, you know, they're charging upfront fees and doing things the wrong way. And so that's, I guess, frustrating for me as someone that does it, you know, ethically. And uh, I'm proud, you know, because <laughs> I've worked so hard to be able to do it the right way. I, I've got one more, and then I'm going to turn the show back over to Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> what about getting new social security numbers? Do you have clients ever ask you about that? 
That one, minimal. Seriously? Uh, like one or two ever. For sure. How about you? Yeah, I do consulting for other attorneys on these types of issues. And usually when I find out a lawyer has helped someone get a new social security <gasps> number, it's like, let me count all of the ways that you have royally screwed this up. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, the... And in short answer, don't do it. There's a million other things that you could do to improve your credit before you would need ever, ever need an alternative social security number. And it's a really big deal. There's other consequences that you have to take into effect, like social security and, you know, points and how that kind of thing is calculated. And Rochelle, this is a, it's <laughs> tax a ramifications. There's legal ways to do, uh, obtain new social security numbers. Like you can get a federal ID number, but the other ways to get another social, well, that's one method that people have come yes. to us with. They said, I was told to get a federal ID number. Oh, no, don't do and that. And use that that's as a social. I mean, that's just no. out and out fraud. Yeah, that is straight up fraud. There was a fun scam on that a few years ago where a company was charging people about 3500 bucks, where they would get them essentially an EIN and set up a new credit file, and then they would have good credit for never. But then they wanted to go somewhere <laughs> and file a police report or uh, sue them for fraud. And it's like, no, you committed a felony yes. uh, by doing that. You have literally no recourse. So I would say for most of the scams, like buying those user accounts, people may not know, but like a company will sell them for 500 bucks, $5,000. It just sort of ranges on how much money you're willing to pay for someone else to be an authorized user on someone else's credit card. And there's no need to do that. There is never a need to do that. And if you feel like it's too good to be true, it's because it is. Um, there's plenty of great companies out there where you can call and get a free consultation and find out whether or not what you heard on the internet or from your best friend's brother or whoever on the side of the road, <laughs> all of those fun signs, uh, just verify the information before you go about uh, engaging in questionable conduct. <laughs> great advice. <laughs> So pro tip for those of you who are thinking about hiring credit repair, why don't you take a look at your credit report? A lot of times people don't know that they actually have fantastic credit and don't need credit repair. They just assume that um, in the past, maybe something might still be haunting them, but it's been too long, like 10 years, 15 years, and they actually have like really perfect credit. And if you go to a company that you just pay a fee up front, Without anyone ever looking at your score, you can be in a credit repair program for like three years and uh, never know your credit was perfect to begin with. So <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Just you look make first. a look at their credit report with us. So every time. Yes. So at Credit Absolute, you have to sign up for your own credit monitoring site. <laughs> us too. <laughs> know what you're doing. So, what are the most common uh, problems that you fix using credit repair? Oh. I would say the uh, priority, it's uh, medical collections uh, that have been resold, uh, that are re-aged, and then student loans uh, are a drastic issue in our country, unfortunately. And so with that, we just really just try to guide them down the path of, you know, if they're delinquent on the student loans, encouraging them to do the um, rehabilitation program that's out there and uh, I don't, that's actually a service I don't even charge for because they can do it on their own. Uh, I know there's other companies that have a lot of success with it. And, you know, it's good when you find one that does it ethically. Um, and then if not, helping them try to consolidate their student loans. But that can be tricky sometimes because paying off a bunch of debt can drop their scores. But in the big picture, you know, if they can have a lower payment, 
uh, lower interest rate, lower payment, and it helps their debt to income if they're trying to purchase something. Um, you know, we just really try to set expectations accordingly for them. Awesome. It's so cool you've got a mortgage background because it's it's interesting to hear your perspective on these things. I I don't have that same mortgage background, and it's enlightening to me to to hear what you say, Derek. Oh, thank you. And Rochelle, you do uh, consolidations and rehabilitations. Your office performs those services, don't they? Yeah, we deal with the whole gamut of student loan stuff. So we deal with private and federal and help people with rehab, help lower their payment plans. Usually if we can just get them to troubleshoot it on their own, they we will. But it ends up being so complicated sometimes. Like you don't know where your loans are. You're not sure when the last time you made a payment. <laughs> you don't know who you're paying or who you've been paying this whole time. So sometimes it's a it's a bit of a research project. And then now we deal with a lot of closed schools and what are your options. So it becomes this whole fun analysis that changes every six months. So. <laughs> sure. That <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, Rochelle, when you help people with the student loans, do you get on their NSLDS? Every time. Okay. And they usually know the passwords? Yes. So I am uh, so jealous. <laughs> FSAID has uh, created a great system for resetting your password these days. So it's not what it used to be where if you forgot it, you were permanently locked out. So you can actually get back in now, thankfully. Well, don't tell my people that. I have to tell them if you lose your password, you're going to pay these things forever for the rest of your life. You're, yeah, you're still doing that, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are the most common problems that you fix with your litigation credit repair? We've been doing a lot of um, lawsuits on creditors that have been reporting monthly payments on closed accounts and charged off accounts. We're talking... Gosh, 30, 40 lawsuits a month, sometimes more. We send the credit bureaus notice saying, look, you can't report a monthly payment on a closed and charged off account. Yeah, creditor verified it is accurate. Well, after we sue them and they come to the table, they say, hmm, maybe it's not so accurate. And they get it taken off. The nice thing about doing this kind of litigation is part of the settlement is we make them remove the trade line. And the trade line's usually, well, it's closed and charged off. It's negative. So something like that helps boost the credit score. Love doing this kind of work. It's simple, it's quick, and it's it's pretty fast. When you're a lawyer. <laughs> when you're a lawyer. I, I mean, clients are, when you tell them, look, I got this thing taken off your credit report, they're really happy. We don't make any representations regarding what the credit score is going to look like afterwards. I'm afraid of doing that for the very reasons I talked about earlier today when I had that couple who got the negative items off, but their credit score still dropped. So we don't talk about the, the credit score or the effect it's going to have on the credit score. We just tell them this is good. <laughs> yeah, there's really no way to guarantee someone's credit score uh, or predict their future because as the party providing the service, you literally control none of the variables. So if they go out and they default on more credit cards or they max out credit cards or new collections pop up or they go late on something, there's a million things that can go wrong on uh, the credit score front. So beware of the companies that are guaranteeing you results because they definitely can't do that. And it's illegal. <laughs> yes. Always. Derek, do you have clients that come in and ask you, they tell you what their target is to hit and ask if you can hit that target? <laughs> uh, all the time. They always ask me, well, how many points are going to increase my score? I'm like, I'm not going to increase your score any points. Uh, I'm going to give you the tools and the knowledge on how to increase your scores. And that's up to you to apply those uh, applications uh, 
out through the building and coaching process. But again, I can't make you do it. I can only give you the information to do it yourself. But on average, our clients that do this, they see increases of scores from 40 points minimum up to 100 points in 30 to 90 days. But again, it really depends on uh, you. Yeah. And so I, I, I really just always put it back on them as long as I go in. Maybe it's a little bit direct, but I'm like, you know, if you're not coachable, we probably would, shouldn't work together. I'm like, because what I'm going to give you is information that I've been applying for, you know, my whole life, in a sense, a quarter of my life. Personally, going through the struggles myself, I had to learn the hard way. So I'm just like, look, if you do these things, they will work, but you have to do them. So Rochelle, I think you get the same question also. Oh, yes, quite a bit. Like, I need a 720 to buy a house. And it's like, why do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually uh, getting down to the nitty gritty. Uh, most of the time, it's just something people read online about what a good credit score is and what they think they need. And the reality is you want good credit because life is a lot cheaper um, and do the things that you need to do to maintain it. So... It's pretty fun. I can see where they're coming from in their defense. Now, now hear me out, guys, before you jump on me. See, when I go to Chicago to see my daughter and my son-in-law, there's a highway, uh, what do they call it? A a toll road. And I pay the money for the toll. can be upwards of $5. And then I see a sign that says 65 miles an hour. And my thinking is, I just paid you $5. I should be able to go as fast as I want. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. That's not giving you money. Make my credit score as high as possible. Happily, uh, with your help. You do the things that people tell you to do. We do the things we say we're going to do, and the results will be achieved. But I think when uh, deviations happen from the plan, that's where people get into trouble. So it's like, please don't go borrow and buy an $800 a month car while we're in the middle of this process. (laughs) And it's being accountable, right? Like, I just had a recent uh, experience you know, it's just unfortunate because we helped the client increase their score over 100 points. Wow. Uh, helped him get a, a substantial line of credit for his business and a personal card. We're talking quite a bit uh, of money. And uh, he wants to purchase a jumbo loan. So he needs a 720 credit score. But uh, the age of his credit is younger because he's rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And he still has had had issues that he couldn't provide documentation for. So again, I'm the bad guy now because I can't delete a debt he didn't want to pay. And (laughs) it's just, it's unfortunate. You know, you have, you know, and, you know, individuals that um, are, you know, always putting the blame, right. As opposed to taking the responsibility and, and actually moving through it to get the success that they need. But, you know, it's just part of the game, right. That we're in. Yes. We see quite a bit of that too. People just don't take responsibility. In fact, that's a lot. That's how a lot of our clients ended up here is they just don't take responsibility. Some are really, really want to improve their credit. They had some bad times. Sometimes things are unpredictable. The medical expenses, no one wanted that. You know, you, you're, you're, something happens to your house, you got to fix it. Your car, these things happen. Life happens. But others... Well, I've got a cousin who will remain unnamed that uh, her her Indian name is Shaps with a Fist. And she's just she's got a, a Shopping Jones. <laughs> Seriously. And her credit in the, is in the crapper. And there's nothing she can really do about it other than to 
I changed her habits. <laughs> That's hilarious. That was awesome. Am I in trouble? <laughs> no, not at all. But let's talk about uh, one of the most common errors that people want to know what they can do, and that is late payments. So we all know late payments will definitely hurt you for about 24 months. But the question is, what can you do about them? And Gary, you've already touched on, well, if it's already charged off and closed. But that's different than a late payment. I mean, that's how you get to a charge it off the close. <laughs> Funny story. My office manager, Julie M- Lamana. Derek, remember Julie? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember Julie. Julie left me for six months to go work for a big national debt buying company. And she said, we used to routinely get these letters that asked for forgiveness um, if someone was late with a payment. They would ask, please, I've had this account for quite some time. I'm a good payer. Would you please remove the derogatory off my credit report? She says they would laugh as they would throw them in the shredder. (laughs) Now, some companies have a heart. They have a soul. They'll actually consider these letters and say, okay, that's fine. Macy's, I think, does it. Target, I think, has done it once. My wife was late with the payment once, and she threw herself on the mercy of them. And they took it off. So there's something I think you can do, but Derek and Rochelle, I think you guys are on the front lines of this sort of thing. What have you seen? The biggest thing that I, you know, I get the question a lot, can you correct it? And I'm like, well, were you actually late? And they're like, some are like, yeah. I'm like, well, then no, you can't. Um, (laughs) But you can do the forgiveness route. And I've seen it done with all different types of companies, the big ones, the little ones. It just really depends on like, right, if you find somebody on the other end uh, that isn't just the minion, but maybe they're a supervisor of some sort and they have the ability because it's all voluntary reported anyways, right? Uh, so nothing has to be reported. It's all done voluntarily. So if you find somebody with a heart or a soul, that's like, okay, I've had this happen before. They have the right to correct it. Um, they really do, but it's almost impossible. The biggest thing that I have really been trying to coach and educate on is a lot of people don't realize is that if it's 29 days late, uh, they can't report a 30 day late. And so I go, did you pay it? You know, they're like, well, I paid it after the due date. I go, well, yeah, but that's a day after it's not 30 days late. You have to actually go a whole entire 30 days. And they're like, oh, wow. And I just had a client that actually sent me uh, documentation. He was 29 days late, he paid it on the 14th before the 15th of the following month, and they reported it late on a mortgage. So, you know, we're in the process of getting that corrected for them. So I think it's important that the clients do their research and see if they were actually 30 days late. For my clients that are listening in, do not follow that advice. I don't want to see more late payments. I'm not saying you're wrong, Derek. I just don't want to see my clients smile Waiting and say, Waiting until day 30 to pay yeah. something. Well, yeah, obviously do not. No, of course. I agree 100%. Why would you? I mean, don't ride You've the just line. just incentivized them. No. no. I mean, because then they're paying late fees, though, and still that, that uh, trended data is calculated into the credit score when they have a late fee, even though it's not a 30-day late. So absolutely, you know, pay your bills on time, obviously, and, you know, keep them below 10%, not 30 like everybody thinks. Below 10, guys. Yes. <laughs> Fiscally responsible advice there. <laughs> it will improve your credit score greatly. <laughs> yeah, when we see late payments, you know, that's our first question too. It's like, well, were you late? It's not really good enough for you to tell me no because I need to 
I need to actually see proof. So until you can provide, you know, bank statements or a statement corroborating, there really isn't anything that we can do to help you with lates. We usually just say, like, you should call. You should really give them a call and see if you can uh, get them to fix that. But then the, most importantly, it's like, well, this is a late payment from five years ago. Uh, it's probably not going to matter if I can fix this or not. Like, let's take a look right. and see what else is going on on your credit. And inevitably, it's like, oh, cool, you maxed out all of your credit cards. Let's pay those down, and uh, that'll probably improve <laughs> your credit score more than fixing this late payment. <laughs> but Definitely. Um, yes. So a uh, comprehensive review before you just jump into solutions on there on that issue. But Bank of America has a fun policy on their website where they tell you, like, we will never delete late payments, even with the good faith dispute letters. Uh, have you run across this problem or have you ever known them to deviate from this policy? I actually, uh, yeah, um, I actually somehow through... I, I'm not sure that just the industry knowing the right people was able to get a uh, vice president of the bank of bank of America and uh, had a personal conversation on the issue. And they actually uh, corrected the issue based on uh, the, the information for the client that had given me that, you know, he was in a, a position, it was a few years ago. So I, I can't remember all the details, but it was with bank of America. I know that for a fact. And they, uh, were gracious enough to fix the issue, awesome. but it, it wasn't. It wasn't with somebody calling in the customer service. Like I had to go to the top. Yes, yeah. And you, Gary? No, not with Bank of America. That's why we, <laughs> we routinely sue them. <laughs> and as part of the settlement, they usually delete the trade line. Only Wells Fargo recently gave us a hard time about deleting a trade line. Recently, it's the first time. And literally thousands of cases we've had where they say, we'll update the trade line and they won't delete it. But it was the deal we had to make at the time. Interesting. Good to know. Wells Fargo, we're coming for you. Mm. <laughs> so what about collections, charge-offs, judgments, bad debts? Um, my philosophy is to always solve the underlying debt, not just pay it, but use a holistic approach. But what about you two? How do you use credit repair to fix debt problems? Well, first, you know, judgments aren't reported on credit reports anymore. So, you know, and if they owe the debt, I mean, it's like, look, you need to you need to pay your debt. I mean, that's pretty straightforward on a judgment. But with collections and charge-offs, um, it's it's going to depend on the statute of limitations, how old it is. Um, you know, if they legally have the right to even collect from them anymore. Um, but if it's newer, of course, we're always coaching them to figure out some type of settlement. Uh, with a collection company, for me, it's always just verifying that the debt's even real. Um, do they have validation of debt? Is do they have a you know some type of contractual proof that the client owed the money? Uh, again, how old is the account? Uh, so once we identify those, then uh, we're able to put the right dispute tactics in place for them, or um, you know use a, a credit firm that. With Gary, for instance, having him sue him for the FCRA violations. I like it. So there are some different techniques we use for each of these things. Mm -hmm. With judgments, we're really careful that when we negotiate a judgment on behalf of a client, we get in writing that they're not going to just report the judgment as satisfied. We like to do a stipulation to set the judgment aside and to dismiss the case. I understand that judgments are no longer reported on credit reports 
But these mortgage types that pull your credit reports, <laughs> they still find out. They yeah, also find out about the tax liens. I can't remember what that service software is called that they use off the top of my head. I can't remember. But, yeah, they always find them. Yeah, it's always on a, a title report. It's always going to appear there because they're liens. Yes. All liens are public record. <laughs> <laughs> and and collection companies, these guys got to be really careful about because they will say anything to get a debt collected. And I'm telling you this from experience <laughs> oh, yeah. because I used to be a debt collection attorney until 2017 when I had that real bad collection experience. And in the course of an hour, my life turned 180 degrees in court. Seriously. I walked out of court and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I called my wife and I said, I quit. When she says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but I'm not doing this anymore. As a collection attorney, my debt collection clients, um, they hire people who are debtors themselves. They're just on the other side of the phone and they get paid a piece of what they collect. The collection agency does and so does the debt collector. So if we ever deal, deal with a debt collector, I know enough that we get everything in writing. <laughs> and if we make a deal with them that we're going to pay this debt, but you're going to take it off the credit report, we, we do one of two things. We put it in a letter that's enclosed with the check. And I tell my credit repair companies, such as Derek, and Derek, you remember Charles? Of course. Yeah. Had dinner with him last night. Charles is all over me about updating the endorsement on the back of the check that I gave to him that says something as simple as, by endorsing this check, you've agreed to remove any negative reporting of the debt. So you have something in writing and a signature. Another thing you might want to think about is even getting an email from them saying, please confirm that you're going to delete this item from the credit report. Without a writing, your agreement ain't worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, trusting a debt collector to do what they say they're going to do on the phone is completely different than my old uh, self would have been hurt. But you're right. <laughs> <laughs> You've come over to the right side. <laughs> so, for someone with minor errors, what would you say they should do? It just depends on what the error is, really. I mean, sometimes it's as easy as paying down the debt and helping them understand. Uh, the credit card balances, you know, because credit cards are 30% of the score, which is 165 points when you you look at the point value. Uh, it could be as easy as them, just uh, the proper mix of credit. So if they don't have enough credit, it's maybe they open up a different credit card, a department store card. Not crazy amounts, but, you know, one or two is okay. It's good. Like I said, it's good to have different mixes of cards because it uh, increases the available limit total limit across what they call credit card utilization, uh, which would bring it down if they increase their limits. Like example, if you have three cards with 1,000, you get two more with 1,000, now you got 5,000 limits instead of 3,000. But I think, you know, and I think that's really it. I mean, for minor stuff like that. And if it's, if it's a collection uh, in that sense, like they have one or two collections, I will encourage them to just do what's called a pay per delete. You know, I'm like, you don't need to pay me to help you do this. And I go, if you can't get it deleted on your own, uh, then call me back, you know, and then we can talk about working it, you know, working together, but you know, just make sure that they give you it in writing first before you give them any money. And then if they agree to it and you get it in writing, go ahead and send them like a certified check money order. Don't give them, you know, your debit card or a check. Uh, but that's what I always encourage them to do to get, you know, little things like that fixed. 
awesome. So consult with you, get some good advice, and yeah, then don't uh, hire a big national credit repair company every month. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, it's it's not always about the money, right? Sometimes it's just about the free information. It's all about the goodwill. I like it. What about you, Gary? What would you say? I don't think I've got anything more to add right? than what Derek answer. said. He hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's the nice thing about joining fellow credit nerds. We're going to give you the straight dope. <laughs> <laughs> it is story time. So it's time to tell us a story about how you helped someone with credit repair. Hypothetically, please, no names, no confidential information. But what was something that was super memorable for you recently? Jeez. Well, you know, I had a recent client come that... Oh, geez. She had hundreds of collections. Um, She had um, a child with uh, a rare disease. And, you know, obviously there was no way she could ever afforded me if I would have charged her regularly. So I just gave it a capped out amount. I was like, look, once we get this, uh, you don't have to worry about paying anything else. You know, it was minimal to help her out, of course. And within the last two, three months... Uh, we've gotten close to like 80 or 90 of them deleted, these nice. medical collections awesome. for her. Um, and it's just, you know, like I said, it's a little uphill battle with her just, you know, with life, right, experiences. But, you know, we're holding her hand in a sense and making sure that we continue to help her get to the end goal and, you know, have a, a decent credit score so she cannot have to worry about stressing out about high interest rates and, you know, being able to get things that she needs for her family. I love it. What about you, Gary? A few years ago, a client came into my office. He was madder than hell. Am I getting in trouble for that, too? No. Okay, good. <laughs> he went to apply for a mortgage, and people come to us typically after they've applied for some credit and they've been turned down, and they don't know why. Well, he found out why. He was reported by one of the bureaus as being dead. He looked really <laughs> good for a dead guy. Hand to God. So I sent the dispute letter to the bureaus and saying, my guy is not dead. He's sitting right across the desk from me. I was kind of tongue in cheek about it because I wanted to, I wanted to sue them. Yes. You want to set a really great record. I did. (laughs) And I did. And we won. And I proved he was not dead. So we got his credit report restored. He got his house and he got a check and it didn't cost him a dime. And we all laughed together. (laughs) <laughs> that's a fantastic story. That's fun. You know, that that's the, he was actually the inspiration for our firm motto, Sue, Settle, and Smile. <laughs> <laughs> the handiest attorney in the room, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so on to credit law. The Fair Credit Reporting Act, or the FCRA, it governs credit reporting. So the FCRA was written back in the 60s. It was Nixon who approved of this lovely document, and it could use some love and attention, but that is an issue for the legislature. But Or the Attorney General's office, because they could be suing a lot more people, if, in my humble opinion. That's the end of your PSA for today. But let's get into the nitty-gritty of the FCRA, what you can and cannot do with it. Uh, let's start with you, Gary. Well, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, gives consumers some pretty narrow rights. I would say broad rights, but they're not all that broad. There's only two private causes of action under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. There's two against the furnisher. I'm sorry. Yeah, two against the furnisher and three against the credit reporting agency. Now, the Fair Credit Reporting Act governs these guys a lot. 
there's so many things they can, they must do and things that they can't do. But if they don't do them and they ignore the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you as Joe Consumer have to talk to the Attorney General to get any of these other rights enforced. I don't think that's a great idea. But they say like making sausages, you never want to see how a law starts off and turns into a law, the bill to the law. And the same thing happened with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, just to cut the boring stuff out, the statute as it ended up today was not how it looked as a bill. <laughs> so give me an example. Like, uh, I think one of the most common questions I get is, well, can't I just sue XYZ company for reporting this information incorrectly? We get that too. The nice thing about the design of the Fair Credit Reporting Act is it allows consumers to take control of their own credit and they can write those dispute letters or have us do it for them. And if, they, if the credit reporting agency doesn't get it right, if the furnisher doesn't get it right, and if they're not communicating properly, then you can sue them. Did you, I'm sure you, knew, you guys both knew this, but we, I was surprised to learn when I took experience deposition that in identity theft cases and pretty much all other cases, to determine whether a debt's valid, they check three and only three pieces of information on the consumer, the name, the address, and the social security number. And they look to see their records, if they match up with those three pieces of information on the furnisher's records, and if they match up, they've made a love connection, it's verified. Whether it's yours or not, they don't care. But it's verified and they've, they've, they've complied with the law. There's so many changes I would make to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, but no one's asked me yet, except for you. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Do you have anything to add about what you can and can't do that would be surprising? Uh, not, not necessarily. I think Gary covered it pretty uh, point, you know, spot on. You know, for me, it's just I always use the kind of the, the basic three. Uh, you know, if it's not 100% accurate or 100% verifiable, then, you know, then we want to uh, research it and make sure that it is. And if it isn't, then we take next steps. Can I make just one rant about the Fair Credit please, Reporting Act? Please do. Okay. You asked for it. And it's in defense of you credit repair pros that are not attorneys. Rochelle, you're an attorney, but Derek, you're not. And there's a provision in the Fair Credit Reporting Act that the bureaus do not have to respond to disputes that come from anyone other than the consumer directly. And that could even mean us as attorneys. And it really, it, it galls me. I mean, if I had a client that was incapacitated, mentally incapacitated, according to the statute, I could not dispute their credit report. Although one might ask if they're incapacitated, what do they use their credit card for? Okay, it's a legitimate question. But still, this is a legitimate concern. And it just, it really, it angers me. It is very frustrating because most consumers, one, don't read the Fair Credit Reporting Act. It's a pretty, it's a long document. And when you do a dispute, you really have to be specific. So it's not good enough to just say, this account is wrong. You kind of have to say which account it is, why it's wrong, what do you want to do for them to fix it, give them 30 days to correct it, and then go through that again and again and again in some cases or until you're able to sue somebody. <laughs> so let me ask you guys this. Do you have tips for your listeners as to what to put into a dispute letter? Well, one, you got to identify yourself. That yeah, like... <laughs> make, make sure you submit three forms of ID. With yes. the current address, that's the number one thing. And do not dispute online. I'm just... 
That's so useless. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people get success, but, you know, uh, the fine print, you know, you give up your rights and, you know, you should know that. Don't dispute online. Agreed. And we can't take the dispute online to court to say the client disputed it. It doesn't count under the FCRA. Well. Not tech. Well, you can't prove you did it. Right. That's the problem that I have. (laughs) And here's something else. Derek, you touched on it. I think it's a brilliant point that when you dispute online, you give up some rights. Yeah, you do. Sing it, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From my understanding, I mean, if the account is inaccurate, but they verify it, then it, it makes it a little bit more challenging to get an inaccurate item corrected or deleted. You basically just reaffirm the debt. You like kind of waived your right to dispute it in the future because you went through this third-party arbitration process, allegedly. Yes, that's the big waiver. Yeah, it's not a good one. No. (laughs) You don't want to give away that one. (laughs) Yeah, I say um, the biggest thing that we see come back is when people will dispute something, they forget to include their address. So the credit bureaus won't send them the results because they don't know where to mail them to. And with those IDs, you know, your driver's license address and the address you put on a credit dispute should match. And uh, people sometimes forget to update their address. And then you end up with uh, proving to the credit bureaus you are who you are. So you need a utility bill and your social security card and your driver's license. Mm -hmm. And you take a look at all three and it's like none of this stuff goes together. (laughs) (laughs) Can Step I make one. one more suggestion? Something that we do is we, we put we identify not only the trade line that's wrong, but we also tell them what the remedy is, how it should report. Yes. And I think that's the difference between um, a, a fairly decent dispute and one that I like to take to court and say, look, Judge, we even told them how it should report and they just ignored us. I love that. Yes. That was I'm a big powerful. fan of that too. Yes, always. So credit repair news, so much to discuss in so little time, but let's talk about the CFPB or the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They sued Lexington Law and creditrepair.com. So in your opinions, why do you think they got sued and did you think they deserved it? That's a good question. You know what? Like or hate Lexington Law, they're still our colleagues, and I'm going to be reticent to say anything really negative about them. There's a new lawsuit out there by Ad Ad Astra against, are you familiar with that one, Rochelle? Yes, but please, let's go into that. That one, I think, is disturbing. And I've been in touch with the credit repair companies that I represent to talk to them about that lawsuit. There may or may not be likes to it. Personally, the, the plaintiff's attorney had reached out to me from New York to talk about the lawsuit and asked if I would help her. And I asked her, why would I help you? I mean, you're, you're going after my, my clients and my colleagues. But in a nutshell, Ad Astra is a big collection agency, and they're claiming that Lexington Law is flooding them with dispute letters. And as I had stated earlier, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, they don't have a duty to respond to letters that come from Ad Astra. They have a re- duty to respond only to dispute letters that come from at Lexington Law, they do have a, a duty to respond to disputes that come from Lexington's clients directly. And they're saying, because we didn't have to respond to these dispute letters, you've cost us a pile of time, a pile of people, and a pile of money. But I think they went too far. Come on, Rochelle. You're dying to say it. <laughs> what are they bringing in? Uh, it's just bad business decision. You don't want to... Uh 
sue your customers or sue your colleagues. It's usually not a good call. The CFPB suing Lexington Law and CreditRepair.com was interesting. I was surprised to see it. I think they just got too many complaints and finally decided to, to do something about it. But to see it offensively used, I thought was deeply disturbing. Dude. And I think it'll get dismissed on a motion to dismiss. The CFPB claim? No, the one with Ad Astra. Ad Astra? I'm hoping so also. But here's the problem. They've also included a RICO claim. I'm sorry, several RICO claims. Mm -hmm. And one of the former attorneys of Lexington Law was also named personally. He's a friend of mine. We had lunch and talked about it. Yikes. Yeah, that's what he said. Um, But that RICO thing is what really bothers me. They went above and beyond. And um, I I think it's just... uh, Malicious. I hope it gets dismissed. Yeah, that's a perfect word, malicious. What do you think about the CFPB's? Well, first of all, let me ask you, do you think the CFPB has many days left in its reign? Well, it is a government organization, so of course they do. They will be around for a while. Oh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> We're not going to get rid of them. <laughs> you know, they're going up. It's, it, it's constitutionality. It's going up to the Supreme Court this term. And if the Supreme Court finds that they're not constitutionally based, yeah, they could be dismantled. Could. Yeah, you're maybe not likely, but something's <laughs> about to happen. We'll see. These guys hand out penalties like candy, and they're huge penalties. They are huge penalties. And they don't really help the consumer. No, but they help themselves pretty gosh darn good. Yes, I can agree with that. Any Fair. thoughts on the Lexington Law or CreditRepair.com lawsuits? No, I mean, I don't Not really spend that. a lot of time on that stuff. I focus on probably more important matters for myself personally, but um, I try to stay out of negativity news. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying so that smart. It, it should, it, it's right or wrong. I just, I have other things I should focus on. I don't really have any insight, so sorry. <laughs> this is why he wears the peace beads on his wrist. <laughs> So what about uh, the nonprofit counseling companies? What do they do? I'm drawing a blank. I really don't have any. I you know you asked that question uh, when I, on the just I was like, I'm not sure how to answer. I don't know if I really spent a lot of time on a nonprofit credit repair organization. So I, I, for me, uh, it's, I don't really have a whole lot of insight. So I apologize. Any thoughts? I'm trying. I think I got nothing here. I think that's probably the main problem with nonprofit credit counseling is you see it advertised a lot, but you're not quite sure what they do. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of substance on the website itself. You get phone, they call, they get advice. But typically, I was surprised to learn that a lot of these companies don't actually look at people's credit reports before they enroll them in a credit counseling program. Are you talking about something like GreenPath? No, they do like, uh, well, GreenPath does a lot of services. Well, GreenPath has been around for since Ever. the 1950s, and they're mm-hmm. very reputable. They're yes. nonprofit. They are a credit counseling company. All right, now I think I got something. Yes. <laughs> and they're down the street from me where I live in Michigan. And they, they've got a wonderful reputation. When people have too much debt, it's a nice place to send them. But did you know they're actually owned by the credit card companies themselves? Shocker. I, I was shocked. <laughs> you, you were shocked? Tell no, me. I wasn't shocked. <laughs> Well, tell me why not, because my jaw dropped when I found out. <laughs> Most nonprofit credit counseling companies are owned by a for-profit business, or at least the principles of a for-profit business. And it's a great way to uh, generate leads and to help people pay their debt. 
Now you tell me. Mm-hmm. All right, this is a good thing to know. <laughs> and then now the new Google policy. Have you guys heard about this where they have come down and said effective November 1st, no more credit repair ads? Thoughts? I did not hear that yet, but I don't use Google. I'm all organic, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Gary? He unfairly sidesteps it, you know. I know. <laughs> Cheated. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to affect me directly or not. We've, we haven't used pay-per-click in a few years. We've been really busy. We just got back into using it again. But we're a law firm, so I don't know that it necessarily affects us. I think going back to your very first question, when you opened up the show, how's our reputation as an industry? I think this is pretty telling that Google would say, we're not going to serve any more ads uh, on pay-per-click for credit repair companies. They didn't do it to debt settlement companies. That's coming. Is it really? Yes. So the also the same policy went into effect on November 1st was for no more debt settlement ads unless you're a 501c3 nonprofit debt counseling company that is approved by the bankruptcy court. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. Fun. But that will be in our debt settlement series. <laughs> so here's the real question. How's it going to affect Lexington Law? Because they have a multi-million dollar pay-per-click plan. I mean, this is where their business comes from. I think where there is a will, there is a way. And regulation always begets uh, innovation. So we'll see. I'm pretty sure they're going to be fine. You can try to regulate an industry, but it's like water. They'll find all the cracks. (laughs) (laughs) Very clever. (laughs) It'll be fine. But anything else in the world of credit news that you feel like discussing today? Something new in the world of credit news. It's always changing, which is really nice, and it keeps us interested, and it keeps us on our toes, and we love it. The Google thing, that was not good news, but who knows? Maybe there'll be some other good news coming down the pike. Maybe Google will get hit for a lawsuit. Who knows? And they'll change their mind. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most likely outcome of that result. I agree. We can make that a class action, you know. I'll pass on that. It's Google. (laughs) Credit repair is such a fun topic, but if our listeners want to know more information about your companies, please tell them what is the best way to contact you. Uh, You could go to creditabsolute.com for my homepage. And then I also have a YouTube channel uh, with a lot of free coaching uh, videos and insight on the five areas of credit. We touched on a couple today. I have a LinkedIn account. Uh, but all you have to do is type in Credit Absolute. And you'll be able to find me on really any social media site. And my name is Derek Vogel. And if uh, you know you want to reach me directly, you can always call me at the office or email me at dvogel at creditabsolute.com. And Derek, you have a fun spelling of your first name. Would you mind spelling that for our listeners? Yeah, the right way. D-E-R-I-C-K. Thank you, because they're going to not potentially spell that right. <laughs> and then last name is uh, Vogel, V as in Victor, O-G-E-L. Awesome. And what about you, Gary? I think Derek is pronouncing his name wrong all these years. It's actually Derek. <laughs> <laughs> he only heard that like 30 times in kindergarten, I'm sure. <laughs> they couldn't spell in kindergarten. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Gary Netskin. I'm a credit repair attorney with Credit Repair Lawyers of America. We love what we do. We're in several states. We're at Credit Repair Lawyer 
Sam. That's the best way to remember it. Oh, no, you know what? I shortened it. C-R-L-A-M.com for Credit Repair Lawyers of America. That's easier to remember. Hell, even I can remember that. (laughs) So thank you, Gary Nitzkin and Derek Vogel for being here and giving us the legitimate perspective. And thanks, as always, to Phoenix Business Radio X and to you listening. And thank you also to our sponsor, AZ Credit Law Group, PLLC, providing legal services to help improve credit. Visit us online at azclg.com. And join us next time on November 21st at 3 p.m. for part one of our six-part series on the world of debt, starting with debt collectors. And I'm Rochelle Poulton, Legitimately Yours. Talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.